0: Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of The Boldly Immortal. Last week, I really, really enjoyed kind of this off-the-cuff meddling with different ideas from the notes I had taken. And if I remember rightly, that note was about storytelling, and how the stories that we're living out are so much more fascinating than the stories that were being fed. Well, today I am going to talk a little bit more along those ideas with a specific story that I've been experiencing and been thinking about. Now I want to preface it this way: long-time listeners may remember well, long time. I've only been around for about two years now, so a year and a half actually. Um, thank you all for listening. It's it's been it's been a delightful ride. But I've I've made a podcast uh, previously called uh, Lunacy talking about my experiences with a full moon when the power went out. You know, so we had no street lights, no city lights and I'm sitting in the middle of the country with a full moon in the midst of a of civilization, right? This is on a city block with no other light but the moon and the warmth around me and, and just how how weird it was, how different it was to be under the light of that moon um, in the midst of the community, you know, to to be to be guided by that, uh, by that light per se, uh, that it was, it was bright, fortuitous that on such a night when the power went out, we did have a full moon, but it was also um, a wondrous experience to see how bright all the, the heavenly lights in fact are. So I've talked in the previous times about the power of the heavenly uh, lighting and uh, you know, the heavenly lights and the, the order that they provide is valuable. I wanna preface this entire conversation that I might not be misunderstood. Looking to the sky to predict the future, to understand your world and to, to try and control what happens in your world is absurd and frankly I would argue demonic. If you think that by studying the stars you're going to somehow get influence that allows you to control your world, you're wrong. If it allows you to perhaps understand your world, even then, understand that the primary reference point against which you must test any insights is the scriptures, and consequently, the scriptures must be the holy scriptures, must be the lens by which you interpret the entire thing. If then, in your interpretation of scripture, you see something that is mirrored in the heavens, enjoy the game. Enjoy the game. Don't make it a habit of, of talking about it too much, of, of looking at it too much. The people who look at astrology are frankly fools, but it's fun. And in a world where archetypes are inverted, we'll get into that today, in a world where the archetypes are wrong, maybe looking at ancient archetypes in the sky isn't a bad idea to recenter us with the historic archetypes of humanity as set there, as set there by the one who created it all. So that's what I'm going to be talking about: is is looking at the heavens and saying, "What is it that is going on up there? What's the story? What is a story that's going on in our lives, and and how and is this story valuable? I guess is the better way of putting it. But first, why do we need this? I'm going to t- talk about the inverted inverted archetypes. What do I mean by that? Well, it's an idea that I've gotten um, from an, a friend of mine who's been pointing it out to me how our modern culture has flipped everything on its head you know that that the, the people are looking up to women and women are warriors now and that's really wrong you know, that you have women fighting they shouldn't be but for some reason we are continually pushing this image of women with swords that's that's really nonsensical ultimately like that just doesn't that's not an archetype type that's that's correct to to really codify this though I'm going to tell you the story of Icarus and Daedalus, because you probably know this story. I think it's Daedalus, Daedalus, whatever his name is. It's it's an ancient Greek story about a father and his son. And Daedalus is is a very intelligent inventor. I mean, he's a brilliant man. And he, uh, well, he designs the labyrinth to keep the Minotaur trapped, you know, because the Minotaur is this creature that, you know, it gets into the whole mythology of, you know, well, the, the gods, uh, I think it was Poseidon comes down and weird stuff happens and you get the Minotaur and uh, the king of Crete wants to hide it away. So he hires Daedalus to make a maze. Well, the problem is Daedalus knows how to get out of the maze. So he, he puts Daedalus in a tower, he hides him away, traps him, imprisons him. So that the only man who knows how to get out of the maze can't tell other people how to do it, and this guy knows what he's doing. That's a pretty good, pretty good king with a pretty good trap. Now his prison is un is unbeatable. And now, if he wants to, you know, get rid of somebody, all he has to do is throw them into the maze, and they'll get captured by the Minotaur. Right? Wipe your hands. Problem solved. Daedalus is not getting out, and uh, you know you've got you've got the Minotaur trapped. You've done your job. Okay. Well, Daedalus and his son Icarus are now in this tower together. And they and Daedalus, being the the creative genius that he is, starts scheming. And he starts thinking of a way that he could he could get out of this tower. And the only thing that he has really around him is the birds. This tower just reaches up way into the heavens. And and so all that's really around him are the gulls that fly over the island of Crete. And so he begins to have an idea. Right? What if a man could fly with wings? It is the only way we can escape this tower, so perhaps that is what we must do. And so Daedalus begins to you know, capture the birds and pluck their feathers and make wax and put these, these makeshift wings together. With the help of his son, he makes it two pairs, one for him and one for his son. And then you probably know where this story goes. They begin testing them out, doing small journeys, because they cannot simply fly out of the tower or they will land on Crete. They must fly all the way home from Crete to the mainland. It will be a long journey and they must build up their strength. And so Daedalus begins to train his son to use the wings. And he himself begins to train with these wings and they become become competent. And then... One day they decide to leave, and they do. They they fly out under cover of darkness, I believe, and if it, it isn't under cover of darkness, it makes for a better story, so I'm telling it that way. Um, they fly out under cover of darkness, Mission Impossible style, and they, they leave their tower with their wax wings, and they they begin to fly. And because of the the cold of night, there's really no harm in going too, too far up or down. You know, if you go too, too low to the water, you'll you'll catch the mist, and it will, it will get into the glue, and the wings will fall apart. So they have to stay high enough above the waters. But as the sun comes up, according to the Greek myth, um, they have to be worried because if they fly too close to the sun, the sun will melt the wax, and consequently the wings would shatter, would fall apart, not shatter, fall apart, and so, Icarus, unfortunately, in his youthful joy of being free and wild, flies too close to the sun, and it burns the wings, and he falls into the, uh, into the, the Mediterranean, into the sea, and drowns, and Daedalus returns home alone, and he uh, basically quits invention and uh, retires out of sorrow. Icarus flew too close to the sun, right? That's the phrase that we use. He flew too close to the sun and it melted the wings on which he flew and he crashed into the sea. That is an archetypal story about the pride of youth and of being too confident in a good in a, in a an absolutely crazy idea and taking it too far to too many extremes. Um, there's, there's a lot of really good stuff about, hey, when you're young, don't shoot too high, just stay steady and get where you want to go. There's, there's wisdom there. There's wisdom there. Of course, modern people have been quick to mock this story because, well, don't you know that when you go higher, it actually gets colder. And so when you keep going up, well, the, uh, they don't actually melt, you know, they wouldn't melt because it would just get cooler, and so then you'd be fine. And they'd never fly enough high enough for that to be a problem. Well, well, here's the thing. There's another story about a genius inventor who gets trapped. And when he's trapped, he, he has to devise a brilliant solution in order to escape his prison. And thankfully, he is able to do so, and uh, it... it allows for him to escape and when he escapes he instead of unlike daedalus this man because he had no son to to mourn chooses to perfect his craft see because he still has icarus inside of him he builds a better a better wingsuit he builds a better flying machine and then he flies too high and this, this in the story of Icarus would be where the hubris comes in, where the moral lesson, do not, do not go too far, would come in. But see, he's the hero of the story. So when the ice comes onto his, well, Iron Man suit, when the ice comes, he's able to survive it. And this is the moment that turns around his story. And ultimately, it is the, the piece that becomes the key to the climax of the story when his opposite, his, uh, his opponent, his opposition, his enemy, you know, the anti, uh, what is it called? The villain. Oh, there we go. That's the word I was looking for. The villain of the story, Obadiah Stane, who builds a mimic of the previous suit, bigger and better and more powerful, well, he falls, he falls victim to Icarus' plight, flies too high, and is crushed by his own hubris. And so, to a certain extent, we still have the archetype, the billionaire, you know, not billionaire, the billionaire playboy philanthropist replaces Daedalus as our hero. And Tony Stark invents the wings and yet, he also has to play the part somewhat of Icarus, flying too close to the sun. And it is his toying with flying too close to the sun. It is toying with that idea of the icing. You know that that, that if he goes too far, he'll fall. That is that is what makes part. Of, that's part of what makes his story so interesting, is that he embodies both characters, and so we have to hope that this. Daedalus does not become Icarus in his first movie he avoids it because the enemy is the actual the villain of the story is the one who is Icarus in the second movie it's the same thing um in the third movie arguably he's dealing with that demon a little bit more uh, but we still have another problem of the same stupid regard but it's an interesting story it's an interesting story and coming to explain it now it's interesting because partially because you know the archetype isn't completely flipped The archetypal story is still there. And yet, our hero is the one who was like Icarus, who was much like Icarus, who flew too close to the sun. And yet, every time he flies too close to the sun, he gets away with it. That's the story of Iron Man. A man who keeps flying where you think it's too close to the sun, and he keeps getting away with it. That's America. That's America's. That's America's hero. Right? Captain America is is kind of the opposite, right? He's a guy who who does, is, He's much more like Daedalus. You know, he's like, all right, just stick your head down and do what you're gonna do. Very very grounded man. Doesn't ha- really have a lot of powers. Isn't even the genius inventor type. He's just kind of there, and he's just a good man. And so between the two of them, we actually have a fascinating story. But but I, I'll get into Cap some other time, maybe. What I'm dealing with here is that we have codified the hero as the one who tempts fate enough times, but is competent enough to escape it. That's not the ancient way, um, and it's possible that that is a really good way of codifying how we differ from the ancient world. Um, Come to think of it, this isn't exactly the inversion of archetypes that I was thinking it was at the beginning of this podcast. But what we do see in later, in later pieces of art is the inversion of that archetype where, well, rather than seeing somebody even struggling at all, right? Go to Captain Marvel. I can't even talk about it. It's too hard. Captain Marvel is a woman who achieves everything because she's a woman and it's okay even though she's constantly told that she can't. She's just awesome and she can get away with it it's all wrong. It's all wrong. It doesn't even make sense. I can't talk about it because the archetype isn't even there. At least with Iron Man, I can talk about how it's an interesting twist on the archetype. It's not totally inverted, but seriously, Captain Marvel is just wrong. Tell me what archetypal story that tells you. What is inspiring about that? And if you're telling me that it's because women can feel strong and empowered, um, that's probably, I would argue that's not a good thing. I'm a radical patriarchist. I believe that men should be in charge. And that when women are in charge, that's really condemnation on the men because they failed. And it's a reminder that they failed. And so they should embrace that failure and figure out how to fix it. Um, so we need to realize that it's on us as men to fix the problem. But seriously, it's judgment. It's judgment. Um, so so yeah, I, I wish I could talk more about those, those inverted archetypes. But the problem is they're just not compelling to talk about. I can talk about the interesting twist on an archetype, but I can't talk about the inverted archetype. And so, to kind of round this podcast off, because I've gotten a little bit stuck, uh, I can't talk about the inverted archetypes and how it, we should look at the, the, the old stories. Well, I've been talking about how we kind of already have been looking at those ancient stories, listening to those ancient stories, um, wrestling with them, trying to, to deal with these things that are fundamentally human, and one of those things would be the deities as well of the ancient world, right? You have Father Time is Kronos, right? And then you've got his sons, power, death, and um, chaos, I would argue. Power, death, and chaos, which would be um, Zeus is power, death is Hades, um, and chaos would be Poseidon, right, the, the, the deep. So we have the one who controls the lightning, the one who controls the place of the dead, the underworld, and the one who controls the the oceans, right? The the chaos of the oceans that you cannot control. These are the three sons of time. Now, when I put it that way, that sounds a little bit more interesting. The three sons of time are power, death, and chaos. Chief among these is power. That is the story of the ancient Greeks. That is the mythology of... That is the root of the mythology from which that story of Icarus comes. The, the particular story we wrestled with kind of comes about because chaos comes and decides to do a little bit of chaos and tries to plant a seed of chaos in the midst of Crete, and he succeeds. And a man tries to capture that chaos, that, that little seed of chaos, like literal seed of chaos. He tries to trap it in a maze of his own devices and ensure that that chaos can never escape by trapping the only one who could get it out. But that one gets out, and then eventually someone goes and kills that seed. And um, partially because the man tries to use the chaos for his own for his own good, right? The king of Crete tries to put his prisoners in with the Minotaur so he doesn't have to worry about his prisoners. Boy, this is this is a much more fascinating idea than I thought. I'm going to slow down and repeat it because I think I'm talking a little too fast right now. In the story of Daedalus and Icarus, it, it only comes about that they are put in prison because Poseidon ends up with a child that is the Minotaur. It's really, it's really weird. That's the Greeks though, but the archetype is there. Chaos comes and plants a seed on the island of Crete. It's an island. It's in the middle of an ocean. And so the seed of chaos is planted there. The king To deal with this chaos as is his responsibility as king chooses to have someone trap that chaos so rather than slay it or exterminate it he he, because he can't really uh lest he anger chaos itself and you know his island be thrown into the sea i think that's how that works Um, so in order that he might not exterminate the seed of chaos he traps it in a maze So he effectively gives chaos a difficult thing, a challenge so difficult that it can never get out. He equips chaos to his own ends then, because in that he has trapped chaos, he's willing to trap his problems in there with the chaos. And that solves his problems. So other problems he sacrifices to the seed of chaos. In other words... When he puts his prisoners in the labyrinth, I feel like I'm now over-explaining it. When he puts his prisoners in the labyrinth, they are his problems gone, because they're dealt with by chaos. This is an interesting idea. I'm I'm, I'm really enjoying this podcast now. I <laughs> um, hope you are too. So, so when he when he goes in there, uh, or when when eventually there becomes a problem too great for him, right? Somebody comes to slay the Minotaur. Somebody comes to destroy the chaos. And, well, frankly, this isn't good for him anymore because he's been dealing with his problems by giving them to Chaos rather than actually solving them. Uh, and so then ultimately his his reign is torn down because he tried to, to turn Chaos, the Minotaur, right, the seed of Chaos, the seed of Poseidon is the Minotaur. And he tries to use the Minotaur for his own good and then eventually Theseus, I think it's Theseus, slays the Minotaur. Um, courtesy of... The king's daughter, if I remember rightly, who uh, gives Theseus a a ball of yarn, so that he can follow it out of the labyrinth, uh, once he has slain the Minotaur. It's a it's a fascinating fascinating stuff going on there, and the underlying archetypal pieces of it, like as I've been un- unveiling it, are, make a lot of sense. Um, don't don't trust chaos to solve your problems because. That, you know, that's not a good answer. And a good man will come along and actually destroy that chaos because it's chaos and it's not good. The man who's been relying on that chaos to solve his problems will find himself, uh, without power and in a very, very bad situation. His kingdom will be overthrown. That's the story of the Minotaur. To, to to now go up. So that was the, the we told the story of Icarus and the, the interesting things about that, and it's a little bit more about hubris, and then going backwards in the in the in the story we just talked about chaos and and its seed. Well, let's keep going back, right? Good old Father Time, Kronos, right? The beginning of the of the myths and legends. Who is receives a, an oracle that his his sons will overcome him, his sons and his daughter, uh, or son. His son will, will, will dethrone him, right? As he did to his own uh, people, or not own people, his own father. Kronos overthrew his father, which was the heavens. Time overthrew it. Well, that's an interesting idea. The wicked the wicked time overthrew his father, the heavens. And then is told that the son will defeat him. There's some interesting archetypology there, but then what we get is this: this eventual son power is replaced by a stone. By his his mother replaces him um, in the the cradle with a stone, so that Kronos eats the stone instead of eating uh, eating his son, and his son is hidden away until the the time when he can come back and avenge his his siblings, and, you know, get them out and and then destroy their father. time, or, you know, at least cast him down. Well, there's some interesting, 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 interesting stuff going on in that story, but for the sake of where I was going with this, which honestly might not even be as interesting as what we just went through, we just got to watch that in the heavens. We just got to watch that happen, that story unfold above us. Now, that sounds a little bit weird to say it that way, but this is part of the reason why the, the Greeks and the, the pagans of the ancient world were pagans, because they could see it in the ancient world. They could see it in the heavens. They could see it around them. They could see a world of evil gods and and power, chaos, and death ruling over all. That's what they saw around them, and what we saw on December 21st 2020 was that a piece of that story being retold Jupiter and Saturn came in close conjunction that's the way we called it right we called it conjunction right Saturn being the Roman name for Kronos. so the planet of time is Saturn with the rings around him well, there's some interesting stuff there right the shattered the shattered orbital of, of the planet of time, Versus the well, plentiful moons of Jupiter, the the Roman name for Zeus, the Roman name for the god uh, Zeus, who is the god of lightning and power. Interesting that the this this god, this false god, by the way, um, his his planet has the red spot, right? The great storm. That's Jupiter. Well, see, now we're now it's just that's just weird, but. When we look at what happened, they call it a conjunction. I don't. I don't call December 21st, 2020 the Great Conjunction. I would consider that an eclipse. At that time, we got to see what happens when Jupiter eclipses Saturn. When Zeus eclipses Kronos. Or, and this was where the note came in that I wanted to, I had two notes, by the way. One was pondering how Iron Man is kind of an interesting story um, about how um, how we kind of think Icarus is cool, and we really like the story of Icarus, and well, maybe that's who we are. The other note that I wanted to get into was this piece. Kronos being eclipsed by Zeus. Jupiter eclipsing Saturn. Power eclipsing time. That's what we saw there. and And it took an interesting... It took me a while to kind of think about it that way, but Well, how better could you perhaps describe last year than power eclipsing time? Because I frankly think that's what happened. We finally realized that time was a system that we had been relying upon that was unreliable. If you you counted your days by the things you did and the people you saw, that got shaken up. As a Christian... I found my God to be my God again. That the, the, the pattern of my days was, was dictated by going to church. And it frankly, it still is. The most traveling I do is going to my church. And I'm, I thank God for that. That's amazing. That I've been, I've been taken away from that, that false deity that I was looking to, for trust, trusting in. Um, and, and yet, what is the rest of the world seeing? Right, They don't see the Son of God because they can't. Because that's not what Jupiter is. Jupiter is not Jesus. And if you look at the heavens, what do you see? You see the judgment of God. You do not see the mercy that comes in Christ. You do not see that when you look at the heavens above you. You see judgment. You see death. Far in the distance. You see chaos far in the distance. Closer to us, you see war. Much closer to us. He's the closest we have. Or perhaps the twin Venus, the horrifying dragon or the innocent maiden, twin sides, the frozen and the burning it's an interesting archetype, I tell you that much. Mercury, the hasty messenger, the false god that we've been also looking to far too much, You know, that's what you see in the heavens. And you see Jupiter, you see power. You see a king out there who just took power away from Saturn, who took the position of Saturn for his own. And so what do you see in the world? Same stupid thing. Am I saying that one caused the other? Nope. 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 If you want me to say that, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that the ancient peoples looked at their world that way. That is what it means to be pagan, I would argue, is to look to the heavens for the answers to your problems. And I don't think that the pagan instinct is gone from mankind. I just think we're not paying attention to it. And so, we who worship the true God, who made all the heavens and the earth, who set the stars and the planets in their motion, who controls them all by His grace and mercy, who is the Lord of all creation, we worship that God, and as such, we should not find ourselves turned by each whim, we should not find ourselves buffeted about by the storms of the world, by the storms of the movements of ideas in this modern world. We should not find ourselves worshiping Icarus as he finally overcomes the hubris of his youth. We must not worship the chaos which finds its way into our our worlds and gives us the ability to control things. We must not worship power or time. We worship the God who is over all things, who created all things, who has all power, all might, and who deserves all glory, honor, and praise. The one who rose from the dead, who who died first and then rose from the dead, was born for us that he might die and rise and ascend to the right hand of the Father where he now has all power and rules and reigns over all things. That is our God and in a world that I believe, I firmly believe, is looking to the heavens and saying, within them, seeing within them, an opportunity, a, a, a desire to fill a power vacuum, to control their, the rest of their world, that, that seeks with all their technology and, and, and might to do everything they can to control their world. We must continue in the truth and stand in the lonely way of truth, the truth, to, to look at the world as they try to ignore the movements of power, the movements of time, the movements of war, and the chaos around us. And we need to look at them and preach to them a better gospel, preach to them the truth. But just know, know that your, your neighbor is a pagan. That his, his story is one that is much older, but, but twisted, a twisted archetype. That the gods he worships are false gods, and he continues to worship them whether he knows it or not. And in fact, the biggest problem right now is he doesn't know it. You know your God. He, he is here to speak to you. Jesus Christ's words are recorded for us, for our good and for our neighbor's good. So we can't look to the heavens and see what we do. We can't look to the heavens and predict the future. We can't look to the future of the skies but what we can do is recognize that we live in a heathen world and in the midst of a heathen world we need to make a bold confession that the gods of wood and stone, the gods of earth and sky, they're false, they're evil, they are insufficient to preserve us from death. And as such, as such, we ought to be equipped to give to the world the good news over and against the false beliefs that they have. I hope something in here was helpful. Frankly, I feel much, much better. I feel, I feel encouraged to go out and boldly confess the immortality that I have in Jesus Christ. Because I know the hilariously, hilariously backward stories we're telling ourselves. Some of it about the truth of reality, but uh, some of it simply fighting to sanctify our hubris. And so, with that, that's two, two notes down. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with the next, the next two because I did not see this coming.